God, God has given us an unusual sort of number of healthcare professionals here at Eastgate with a great passion for the delivery of, of excellent healthcare alongside God's miraculous provision. And um, if you have to say, you know, if you put in front of something in our nation, in front of our government, and impossible today, it probably would be the National Health Service. Everybody's trying to fix it, but they don't know how. The resources are just simply not there to meet the demand. It's not necessarily an easy place to work in at the moment. Um, but I want you to start to imagine what it would be like if we could release the resources, limitless resources of heaven, into that environment. With the wisdom of heaven and the ideas of heaven, the creativity, and, and put alongside that many, many healing miracles that will reduce the workload of, of the, the health service. And I think we've got a package. And it's my great delight to introduce to you today my good friend, Liz, who is a local GP. Um, we have worked together and alongside each other for a number of years now. She's been part of Eastgate for a number of years. And she's uh, very involved in, in the delivery of healthcare right across our, our area. Uh, she does a magnificent job, mainly below the radar. Most of you won't see her, and actually, in fact, we kept you below the radar, but she's actually coming above the radar today to share with you something I think that should thrill your hearts, because this is an area that literally touches everyone in our nation. And I believe as, as we, we, we expect heaven to touch us in this area, and I want us, to take, I want us as a church to take responsibility for this bit of ground to be taken. So would you welcome Liz as she comes Thank to speak? You. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, it's uh, wonderful to be with you uh, today. Many of you will know me. Um, I've been part of this family for quite a while. Um, I normally go to the evening service, so, so um, hello to all of you I don't know. <laughs> um, I've, uh, before I start, I just had wanted to share what a sense of God's delight in your connectedness as a family, um, but as a part of the community here. He loves that. He loves it so much, and it's so important to him. So I've been a local GP um, for uh, more than 50 years. Um, a while ago, patients used to say to me, you're too young to be a doc, aren't you? I don't often hear that anymore. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to be talking a lot about... Um, our public health, the health of our community. Um, but I do want to, from up front, say I'm not a public health expert. Um, I'm a GP. So today I may raise more questions than I necessarily give answers, um, but I'm more than happy to chat afterwards and to take questions um, after the service. Just come find me. So you may hear from my accent um, that I uh, grew up in South Africa. Um, hello to all of you out there. <laughs> Um, my father uh, worked in primary um, care in South Africa in the poorer areas, in townships and settlements. Um, so I grew up with his passion and excitement um, about trying to um, help people and improve things. I studied in Cape Town and came over to London as a young doctor to further my studies. And while I was in Cape Town, I saw the effects of poverty and inequality on health. And I have seen young children affected by malnutrition, bloated stomachs in hospital. I've seen young children with burns because they um, are having to live uh, using paraffin lamps because they don't have electricity. I saw teenagers um, caught um, up in the crossfire with gun injuries. But I also experienced fellow students 
not able to afford to go to see the doctor because they didn't have money that month. So that background makes me very grateful and hugely appreciative for the NHS um, because we have some measure of equity and access uh, to healthcare in this country. I mostly also hugely admire the heritage we have in this country of individuals who've made a massive difference. Dame Cecily Saunders, who started the hospice movement, Edward Jenner and immunization, great individuals who have affected healthcare globally. So this morning, I want to focus, though, on our area, uh, our nation, um, and particularly, why am I coming to talk to you? It's because I believe that our community has a huge role to play in the health and well-being of our society. So next slide. First thing I want to do is just say thank you and well done for all of you working in the front line in health and social care. Doctors, physios, nurses, midwives, countless um, people. But also the domiciliary care workers, the people looking after people in their own homes. Also those of you working in gyms and helping um, people become more active. There are so many of you who in your various ways um, are helping people um, with their health and well-being. So it is, as Pete said, it's a tough environment right now for many, um, but you are tackling that with compassion and care. Um, and I just want to say thank you. In Jesus' words of Matthew 25:40, for whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. But we all know, and if you're anything like me, um, you want things to be better. I do um, sometimes drive the people around me mad because I can always think there's something else we could be doing, something that could just be a little bit better. And, and I think all of us acknowledge that actually um, things can improve within our health service. We need better health outcomes. So nationally, we are looking at new models of health and, health and social care. If we can go to the next slide. So why do we need to look at new, new models? Um, we have significant challenges, but with those challenges, they bring opportunity. So one of the big challenges is finance. Um, many areas um, of healthcare, the budgets are in significant deficit. That is certainly true locally. We have... Um, we spend a lot of money on healthcare in this country. We don't spend um, as much as the top performing nations do as a percentage of GDP. But there are huge demands being made on the public purse. So these are very challenging times. In terms of the workforce challenge, um, some of you will know that it's not that easy to see your GP <laughs> anymore. We need many more nurses. We need more GPs. We actually need more consultants in certain areas. But we also need more um, care workers. Um, in the north of Kent, um, there's a particular difficulty with um, accessing care workers in the home environment. And um, that we are in desperate need for people to do, to do that work. So when we start to look at new models of care, we need to start to look at, well, why do people need health care? What are the causes? And what are the causes of the causes? And that takes us to looking at the wider social um, determinants of health. Um, what is the social environment? In Gravesend, um, there are poorer health outcomes than in more wealthier parts of the country. 
life expectancy and um, disability-free life expectancy um, corresponds with income deprivation. So unfortunately, if one um, has less income, if you're poorer, um, statistics would suggest that your health outcomes um, may be poorer. Uh, obesity rates vary across the country. Locally, um, I'm sad to say that 22% of children in Gravesend um, have obesity. 26, um, more than 26% of adults suffer with obesity. We have huge challenges around physical inactivity. We just don't move as much as we should. So um, as a GP, I started to look and challenge myself at what I, I, I was doing. I, I love to walk. As you can tell, I find it very hard to stand still. <laughs> so um, I am happiest moving around. Um, but when I'm working all day, I can spend 12 hours sitting. Um, that's not terribly good um, for one's health. So there are changes that one can make. I, I walk frequently now to the, <laughs> to the office. Any excuse to stand up, I, I take that opportunity, as well as walk and swim and actually try and take care of myself. But those, those social things all affect our health. Another thing we need to consider when we look at new models of care, this is not all about the top-heavy end of hospitals. Actually, we've over-medicalized a lot of things, and internationally that's becoming more and more recognized. If we look at the basic causes of what is causing our, our health, we need to offer different solutions. So loneliness, housing needs, significant things that um, I will see um, patients coming to talk to me about. Go on to the next slide. So a lot of what I'll be talking about today comes from um, Michael Marmot, a hugely influential person worldwide. He wrote um, an excellent book um, called The Health Gap, and its subtitle is The Challenge of an Unequal World. Um, and he starts it by, by making a Dickens quote from A Tale of Two Cities. It's the best of times and the worst of times. It is the best of times. I'm very glad I wasn't around in the Middle Ages. It's a good time to be born. Um, so things are a lot better than they were, and health outcomes are improving. But they're not all equal, and we have huge inequalities. Within some parts of our country, for example, in London, in Westminster, there's a 20-year difference in health, in health expectancy between some parts of the population and, and others. That's enormous. That's the same difference as a woman in India and a woman in the United States. It's in our country, in our capital city. In our area, the difference in life expectancy um, across Dartford, Gravesham and Swanley is 10 years. Um, we don't, yeah, so from Crockenhill Hill and Swanley, um, they do really well. North Fleet, Gravesend area, um, the average life expectancy, 10 years less. That's quite a lot, really. So, but what I like about Michael Marmot is he's, he's positive and there's always something we can do differently. And these are his words. He said, armed with knowledge, we can transform a season of darkness into light. So if we move on to the next slide, please. So I just want to talk a little bit more about the social determinants of health. Because 
Healthcare is too important to just leave up to us GPs. It is about our community. Preschool education, phenomenally important. It's actually important for everyone. Everyone can, or most people could get a benefit from preschool education. It improves your cognitive potential and the way your mind works for all people. But for poorer people, they get even greater benefit out of that. Education in general, there's a graded relationship between the number of years you spend in education and the length of your life. As we saw in BBC News, surprisingly, perhaps for some of us, those who have not completed a secondary um, education actually have a higher risk of dementia. 9% increase. That's, that's phenomenal. We think that's perhaps because of a cognitive reserve. So um, when you're studying and, and when you keep learning, you build up um, a bank account um, that you can draw from later on in life in terms of your, your memory and your ability of your mind. And it's seldom too late to, to do anything. Um, so actually learning for all of us, if we could um, continue to be learning, that really helps our mind and helps our health in the long term. There's some extraordinary um, thoughts about education and some sad facts. While healthcare generally has been improving, for white men with little education, their health in general has been in decline. We also know that many of the health inequalities that black women are facing and have suffered can be linked to less educational opportunity. But poverty does not have to be destiny. In Tower Hamlets, locally, they have been determined to break this link between poverty and poor school performance, and they're doing it. They're achieving good grades. It is possible to intervene, um, and we need to do that, not only for our grades, but actually for our health. Housing, um, sadly, we all have now seen the effects of what, how housing can affect our lives. The Grenfell Tower highlighted to us the stark difference between portions of our population and the effects on our, on our very lives. We have a housing crisis in the country. The good news is there's lots of housing being built locally. Um, that has enormous challenges that comes with it. Um, by 2030, the plan in Dart for Gravesham and Swanley is to have 24,000 homes. That's 58,000 people. That's a lot of people. So we need health workers, teachers, everything else that goes along with it. And I'm sure with those people will actually come those resources. Um, so huge opportunities um, as well as challenges to improve the health and well-being of our local area. Work. We know work has an enormous um, positive benefit on, on our health. A good work environment um, helps boost our mental health, connects us with people. Sometimes I think I know my work colleagues, or I certainly see them more than I see some of my family members. Um, but we need, to, we need to guard that. Um, not all work environments are good. But a good, decent job is actually really important for someone's health and, and well-being. Social protection. What kind of society do we want to live in? We would all want to have food, shelter, but more than that, live a life of dignity. 
and the ability to take one's place in society. Older people, when they are isolated and not connected into society, can quickly become depressed. None of us really want that, do we? So go to the next slide, please. Preschool. <laughs> I come back to it because it is probably one of the most important things. What happens to children in the early years has a profound effect on their life chances and then their health as adults. Poor early child development leads to worse performance in school, lower job status, less money, worse living conditions. At every stage, we can intervene. Um, things don't have to become inevitable, but we do need to intervene, and we can. So we can move on to the next slide. So we're realizing that our health is um, directly influenced by our general well-being and our broader needs. So if you have asthma and you've become depressed, perhaps because you've isolated and more lonely, you're actually more likely to have poor control of your asthma, have more frequent um, asthma attacks, and may need casualty. So when you're looking at um, the frequency of people attending casualty, actually we need to look at what's the mental health of our area like. You know, how, how well are we generally? We've tended as medics to want to chop people's heads off and just treat their heads, then deal with their bodies. And even within that, we like to just look at their liver and then their heart and their lungs. And we sometimes forget, actually, we're one whole person. And we need to begin treating people more and more as, as whole people. As a GP, um, these are the common needs that people bring to me. Loneliness, housing needs, relationship problems, self-worth issues, mental health, huge needs out there. Now, Kent actually has a very good website called the Livered Well website. And one of the things they put on there are the six ways to well-being. And a lot of them you would recognize um, is familiar to us. Um, they talk about giving. Giving is very important, is acknowledged as being good for us, for the giver. Connecting, connecting with your friends, connecting with your family, making sure that you take time to connect with the people who, who feed into you, into your life as well. Taking notice, stopping and smelling the roses, looking at the sky, at the clouds, really essential for our health. Caring for our planet, actually important for us. And as I talked about earlier, keeping learning, um, keeping your mind active, those are things that are important for you. And one of my challenges this morning is because I know you have a heart to help people. But are you looking after yourself? Because actually, if we looked after ourselves, um, that's the first step. <laughs> so are you, are you connecting? Are you taking time out? Um, yeah, are you taking notice? If we move on to the next one. So when we start to look at new models of care and we want to think, is there a different way, slightly different way of doing things, and there are a number of people around the world who are doing things in a different way. So if we turn first to Alaska, um, well, I'll, I'll deal with, yeah, there we go, there's Alaska. <laughs> Thank you. So Alaska, um, they have a NUCA system of care. Um, the Native and American Indian people in south-central Alaska 
are working with the South Central Health Foundation and the Alaskan Native communities with the mission of working together to achieve wellness through health and related services. If we can go on to the next slide, please. So that bottom statement there, I think is really crucial. It is that partnership with the community um, to achieve wellness. That's our aim. It's a higher aim than, than just a very narrow definition of health. So what they describe are multidisciplinary teams. So that means doctors, GPs, nurses, midwives, um, community services, and primary care centers, coordinating with a range of other services, though. And this comes from a King's Fund document, which is, the King's Fund is a health policy think tank, hugely influential um, in our nation. Um, and they describe the Nuka system of care. And they talk about how traditional Alaska native healing is offered alongside other health and care services. And all of Nuka's services aim to build on the culture of the Alaskan native community what our culture is, what, um, what our community need and want um, is important, and we need to work in partnership. That provides great opportunity. And the reason people are so interested in, if we go into the next slide, please, um, is because of the outcomes. In the Nuka health system, compared to their previous system, significantly improved access to primary health care, that's your GP and your nurse, um, People were happy. They liked their service. 36% uh, reduction in hospital days. 42% reduction in urgent and emergency care service use. 58% reduction in visits to hospital, to the specialist. When you need a specialist, you need them. They're really important. But they're at the top of the ladder. If you have everything else in place at the bottom, then actually you, you don't need the top of the ladder so much. So we need to really work at what is our, our foundation, our baseline. So if we move on to the next slide, I think key features for us is that their health model was co-designed with the local community, taking into account cultural and spiritual needs. Yes, they had GPs, teams of nurses, the wider medical team. They also have behavioral therapists. Actually, if we're trying to develop healthy habits, if we need to learn to move a bit more and eat a bit better, then actually you need some specialists sometimes who can help us change some very deeply ingrained habits that we have. And obviously we need the lengths of secondary care for advice, um, secondary care of the hospitals and people like that. So if we move on now to what's happening in this country, the next slide, there's a surgery up in Leeds um, the Robin Lane Medical Center, where general practice and the community are collaborating. They employ nine doctors, 50 people, 13,000 patients and growing. They have a well-being center, a cafe, with 19 groups run by over 50 volunteer champions. That's a lot of people. But what was amazing is they increased the number of people they could manage by four and a half thousand. That's a lot. That's normally would be at least an, an extra two GPs. They managed to increase that um, with no increase in demand for primary care or secondary care consultations. That's phenomenal. 
And that's because actually the needs are being met by the community. This practice has established a charity to support the Wellbeing Centre, which is run by a board of volunteer champions. And this model was a part of a government release document, um, the five-year forward view for general practice. So what about locally here? We're working um, as a local community. We need to link more with our volunteer organisations much more strongly. We need to develop greater partnerships between health and social care and our hospitals particularly. And we're beginning to do that more and more. But let's try and imagine what a future could look like in this area. Let's imagine a health and well-being centre. There may be several. Imagine an, an, a fictitious lady called Emily who has a severe mental illness. She's perhaps been unable to work for uh, most of her adult life. But as a result, she's very isolated. She knows a GP and she can manage to get to the surgery. But a lot of other places are new and they feel too difficult. But imagine having a central health and well-being centre with an inviting cafe where she could sit for a while while waiting for an appointment. And maybe she's managed to connect with an exercise class that's happening in the building. And maybe she could chat with her new acquaintances that she's met in the cafe afterwards. She would know the receptionist at the GP surgery who could introduce her to the social care link worker. And the link worker could help her with any housing issues that came up, connect her with her local art class, much more connected with the community instead of isolated people not knowing how to connect with their community. Even as a GP, I don't know what's out there um, as much as I should for everybody. And we have this mismatch bet between professionals trying to help individuals and a community with a lot that's going on. But how do we connect the people who are in need and our communities? So if we move on to the next, the next one. This is my last slide. A phrase that Michael Marmot uses, which I really like, is called the organization of hope. How do we create a new model and organize things so that people in our local health care can have good health and well-being? How can we reduce the inequalities so that it's not 10 years difference based on how much uh, ten years life expectancy difference that isn't based on how much money you earn. We need to work together in collaboration with our community if we're going to really achieve this and make a big difference. I fundamentally believe we can and that we will. But you need to also take care of yourself. I need to take care of myself. I need to go walking. I need to put it in my diary so that it happens. Because if I'm only working 12-hour days, five days a week, and I get sick, then somebody else has got to come look after me. So actually, we need to look after ourselves. But what excites you? What are you passionate about? Healthcare is just too important to be left to, to, to the GPs amongst us. It is our community as a, health, as, as a whole. I really want to thank you for the word that came up earlier. I do think that was um, very timely. I fundamentally believe that um, this is the beginning of something new. And as we were worshipping, I just want to share a vision or a picture, a picture that God gave me. 
and um, showed this, me this rough sea. I like a rough sea. It's probably a good thing. And um, it was quite windy. Again, I, I like the wind. There's something about God's power and freedom in that. And as I was standing on the beach, this big turtle came out of the sea, landed on the, on the beach. And I realized the turtle was going to find, to build its nest, to dig a nest in the, in the sand and to lay its egg. And there were all these people around, all these people around cheering as the eggs hatched and as these, these little um, baby turtles made their way to the sea. And we know it can be a tough time for little turtles as they make their way into the sea, but actually there were people around to help and, and to, to help them get there to achieve their aim. I think that's a really positive picture that God is on the move, that he is birthing something, and that he wants um, all of us to be involved and, and to build a, a really healthy, well, and vibrant community. Thank you. Absolutely.